here we are, Genesis. And for those of you who've been following along, we have been going through our text. And today, uh, we are going to kind of do a quick review and meet Jacob again and then enter into our story. The title of today's message is Lift Up Your Feet. Where have we been? Well, let's look a little bit and review our story. If you'll recall, the birth of Esau and Jacob was very difficult um, for Rebecca. She wasn't having a good time then. And she's like, what's happening to me? And we've got our famous brick testament helping us see a woman that's pregnant. And at the birth of Esau and Jacob, we found out that the younger was going to be serving the older at the birth of these twins. And then not long after the next portion of our story, Jacob convinces Esau to sell his birthright. And we have in ancient cuneiform texts and Nari texts from Mesopotamia, people who do sell birthrights. And we've got that testified in different texts where you could sell your place as firstborn. So this isn't um, the first time it's ever happened. Jacob's getting Esau to do something that other people did. And then after that, remember, Isaac is going to bless his sons. And he gives Esau information to go out and bring something in. But Jacob deceives And Jacob deceives because his father's blind and can't see him. And he deceives him by smell, by putting on some of Esau's clothes. He deceives him by touch, by by putting on like teen wolf fur. And he deceives him by taste, by giving him the stew that Isaac loves so much that Esau knows how to make. The thing that Isaac isn't deceived about is he says, it's the voice of Jacob but the smell and taste of Esau. So he kind of suspects something, but Jacob has deceived the father. And as a result, he's had to flee for fear of his brother's wrath. And so as he's fled, and this was the story that Kevin told us last week, Jacob stopped at Bethel at the house of God, put a stone as a pillar, as a pillow, and had this incredible experience with God. We call it Jacob's ladder or Jacob's stairway where the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. And in this incredible vision, Jacob hears from God. I am the Lord, your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And basically at this point, Jacob, I'm your God too. And I'm going to give you all of these incredible promises. So Jacob has this amazing moment. He sets up a pillar afterwards. He names the place as the house, house of God. And he then moves on from that place. So now we're in Genesis 29. We need to review all of that because all of those stories are going to come into play in the story that we're reading today. So let's look at Genesis chapter 29. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. And then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. By the way, Rachel in Hebrew means like a ewe lamb, E-W-E. 
lamb. So it's this really interesting play, like here comes the lamb with the flock. Because here comes this flock of sheep. So, look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we'll water the sheep. And while he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. And when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. And then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. Now, just for a moment, let's stop there. Jacob has performed this Herculean feat. He's rolled this giant stone away off the, off the top of this well. It's big. It's tough to do. So maybe, maybe his mom, Rebecca, wasn't just fantasizing when she was concerned that Esau and Jacob might come to blows and why Jacob needed to live. Apparently he's strong enough to do this. And remember his mother, Rebecca, when she met Eleazar, Abraham's servant at the well, she watered his camels, 10 of them. And she also performed a Herculean feat. So we've got these two well scenarios Back when Abraham was finding a wife for his son, Isaac, there was a betrothal scene at a well. And now we've got this next well scenario where the daughter of that woman, Rebecca, made the son of the woman, Rebecca, Jacob, is now also performing this amazing feat at a well. And it's also a betrothal scene. This is the only scene in the Bible where you have somebody that's not a husband or a father kissing a woman like Jacob just loses it. Just like, oh, I love this lady. Kisses her, can't help it, and weeps. Ladies, isn't that like just the first impression you're looking for, right? A guy that like falls on you. It's like, ah, <laughs> and just weeps in the moment. But when was the last time Jacob kissed somebody? When he deceived his father, right? Good job. He deceived Isaac with a kiss. And the exact same word is used here. And he kissed Isaac and he kissed Rachel. And then do you remember what Esau did when Esau heard that Jacob had taken away his birthright? He wept. And that same word is here. So there's something that the the author is doing for us here where they're, they're sort of bookcasing this scenario. Like Jacob was a deceiver. He did things wrong and he deceived with a kiss. But this is a different kind of kiss. He's not deceiving. It's exactly a flow of honest and true emotion. And he's trying to reach out and have this relationship with Rachel. It's really love at first sight. He's seen her. He's fallen in love with Rachel and wants to marry her. Let's hope so because he's kissing her and that's, that's not good news. Okay. Now, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister Sonny, hurried to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. And Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. Notice Laban's like, oh, you're a family, man. This is great. You know, you're, you're family. We're, we're connected. We, we know who you are. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, a whole month has passed. Laban says, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So wait a second. So for a whole month, he's been working for nothing? Interesting, Laban. Very nicely done, right? So now we're getting a little bit of a clue that Laban might be looking for free labor for as often as possible, right? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. 
The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Very specific, right? I will work for you for seven years in return for younger daughter, Rachel, not Leah. Younger daughter, Rachel. Now that word there where it says Leah has weak eyes, we're actually not quite sure what it means. It could mean sort of tender eyes. It might mean that that was her best quality, whereas Rachel had it all going on, right? That, it could mean that she had nice eyes, but Rachel, you know, she was working it, right? So, yeah, Leah's okay. Tender. It might mean weak, but it, it, some people will say cow and things like that. But it's, it's not quite sure. It's not quite certain in the text. Let's say tender. Let's just say she's not as hot as Rachel, okay? That's, that's what we're getting here. She's not as hot as Rachel. So, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. Now, why work for seven years? Why does that have to happen? He has no dowry. He has no bride price. So Laban, he's getting some good labor. He's like, okay, you can't pay me. So seven years of hard labor for me. And then you get my daughter. Exactly. So if you're Rachel or Leah, how are you feeling about dad? I'm like, come on, dad. I'm not just, you know, barter for some great labor out in the field with the sheep all the time. There's something about how Laban's even treating his own daughters that might not quite be so above board as we're going to see. So Laban says, great, you know, let's do this. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him. Because of his love for her. <laughs> he could weep and cry about it all again, I think. So Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. <laughs> my time is complete and I want to make love to her. Yeah, okay, great. We got that. <laughs> so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. This is not great. Stop for a moment and be Leah. In seven years, no one has come to ask for your hand in marriage. Because she's still not married. So she's had seven years of watching this man work and sweat and toil for her younger sister, Rachel. And then as the feast comes, dad dresses her up, hides her identity, and sneaks her in as the wife that Jacob does not long for. And Jacob is deceived in the dark, just like he deceived his father in the dark, as his father was blind. Okay, verse 25, it's like my favorite verse in the Bible. And when morning came, behold, Leah. So, I know Kevin shows you the uh, uncensored Lego version, but I just can't do it. So welcome to the censoring of the Brick Testament. 
in Hebrew, this is such a short verse. It's like, in the morning, baboker, vahine, and behold, Leah. What? And then Jacob says, what is this you've done to me? He can't believe it. So in the morning, there's Leah. So Jacob says to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Remember how specific he was. Why have you deceived me? And Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. You think you could have mentioned that early on at the beginning of this whole contractual arrangement, don't you think? Laban's been holding something out, but isn't there also a kick here? It's not our custom in this place to give that place to the younger. Jacob, I know what you did. I know you usurped your elder brother for the blessing, but that's not the custom here in our place. In our place, we don't do it that way. In our place, older goes first. And you don't get to get around this. So there's something that Laban's also doing there as as Jacob is being deceived in the same way that he deceived his father. There's something there in that moment where he's almost reaping what he sows. And all of that history that he thought he had left far behind him back at his parents' house. All of that history is coming back, even though he's far away, even though he thinks he started anew. It's back again in these weird ways. It's back again. There's even a midrash about this. The rabbis talk about this night and they say, how is it that Jacob was so deceived? I mean, if Rachel's all that in a bag of chips and if that's not exactly quoted directly from the Talmud, by the way, but, you know, essentially if she's so beautiful and if Jacob's been studying her every move for seven years, seeing how she walks, seeing how she talks, longing for this very moment, how was he so easily deceived? And there's this discussion that he has with Leah in the imagination of the rabbis where he goes and he says, Leah, how could you do this to me? I cried out to you in the night, Rachel, Rachel. And you said, yes, yes. And, and in that moment, you said nothing. And she says, just as your father said, is it Esau? And you said, yes. That's what the rat. whoa, right? There's, man, the rabbis are brilliant. They've got some interesting things there. Okay, so Jacob's going to work another seven years for Rachel. And he did so. And he finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. And Laban gave his servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. And Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Laban's choices here have torn sisters apart. Sisters that grew up with one another their whole lives. Sisters that should have been celebrating for the other and saying, it's your wedding night. This is amazing and it's incredible. And Rachel must know it's for her that that entire night is prepared. And she watches her sister go in her place. And then one week later, as he just sort of deals with the rest of that wedding week. Now he can finally be with the one that she loves. And Leah, who's first born, who's first married, watches as this husband goes off now with another. 
Do you see all of the deception and all of the hurt and all of the pain that Laban is bringing into his own household? And no one has a choice about it. Jacob's not choosing it. Leah's not choosing it. Rachel's not choosing it. Laban is choosing it for them all. And he keeps having these moments that Jacob thinks he's gotten away from. He just keeps sticking Jacob right back in that moment. And then he chooses moments for Leah. And he chooses moments for Rachel where they're just continuing to get stuck. Now, verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Reuven. For she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She names her son based upon the fact that she's in misery. She's stuck in this moment. And then she conceives again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved. He gave me this one too. So she named, he, she named him Simeon. And again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So he was named Levi or Levi. And then she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, this time... She names him something different. This time I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah, and then she stopped having children. Do you see how Leah is stuck in these moments, and, and she's just, she can't get out of them. She's stuck in this relationship with this father that, that is doing this for her. She's stuck with tension between her and her sister. She's stuck in a relationship with a husband that doesn't love her. And yet as she's giving birth to sons, which is the best, most highest esteem, she's naming them as identities about the season that she's stuck in in her life. She's, she's choosing to live in that until the fourth son comes. And now she's free somehow to start to begin to praise the Lord. Something maybe has shifted for her in that moment. Now she names the son Judah. Now when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children. She became jealous of her sister. And so she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? So she said, here's Bilhah, my servant, sleep with her so that her children sleep with her so she can bear children for me. And I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant, Bill has a wife and Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. And then Rachel said, God's vindicated me. He's listened to my plea and given me a son. And because of this, she named him Dan, which means God is my judge. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. And when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpha and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's servant Zilpha bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. And Leah's servant Zilpha bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, how happy am I that the women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. And during the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields, found some mandrake plants he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? These sisters out in the field fighting. Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well. He can sleep with you tonight and return for your son's mandrakes. The younger wife, the second wife, holding control over who Jacob gets to sleep. Fine, you get him tonight. This is not healthy, right? None of, this is like Jerry Springer, right? If this is, this is, 
bad. This is no episode that anyone wants to watch. So Jacob came in from the fields that evening. Leah goes out to meet with him and says, you must sleep with me. This is, again, great, great love, you know, wooing action, right? That's it. Sleep with me right now. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God's rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband, so she named him Issachar. And then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I've borne him six sons. And all of this stuff. Now, then Rachel's going to get pregnant again. She's finally going to get pregnant. And she's going to give birth to Joseph. And she's going to say, now I am vindicated. Now I've got it all. And eventually, she will give birth to Benjamin later on. All of them stuck in this moment. All of them not able to get out of the things that have been created around them. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever gotten stuck in a family system, stuck in a marriage, stuck in a relationship, stuck in a job, stuck with something that's around you that's saying, this is the way it's always going to be. And then you start to believe that. And then you start to try to work out your own way out of that problem. So you start to sell sleeping time with your husband. I mean, like just the craziness that you start to think about anything to get yourself out of this thing that you're stuck in. And we start to identify ourselves that way. And we start to name things according to this reality that maybe is not the best reality to get stuck in. And we just keep sitting there. Maybe it's that you start, it's the self-talk that's in your head, right? Or at least is in mine. I'm terrible at this. I'm never going to get any better at it. I'm such a jerk. Can I just get it together? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with him? How come he keeps doing this? How come I can't? How come, why isn't she... How come that, and I just get stuck. But God's going to start to offer his people ways out. You see, Leah is the least loved. Has anybody ever felt bad for Leah in this scenario? Thank you. I feel really bad for her. I feel like this just stinks. Where is her joy? And if if she only lives in that moment, it's just horrible. And later on, Jacob, when he's afraid that he's going to go meet Esau and Esau's going to be mad at him, he lines his family up least favored to him. Yeah, he lines them up. So he'll go meet Esau first, but but next is going to be Zilpha and then Leah and then it's going to be Bilhah and then Rachel and their children. Can you imagine lining your children up according to least favored? This is horrible. They're going to continue to be stuck in this system. And if Rachel looks, and if Leah looks at all that is around her, it doesn't look good. But guess what? She has more children than any of the other three combined. And not only that, she's going to give birth to Levi and to Judah. Levi, who becomes the priesthood from Moses and Aaron and Miriam will come. And Judah, from whom the line of David will come, the messianic line. Leah doesn't get Jacob's love, but she gets Israel's. And if she only lives in that moment, if she only lives in that moment where Jacob's lining her up, least favorite. 
then she's never going to see that God is redeeming that moment and that he is telling a larger story and he's not going to leave her there stuck there. He's going to move her through and he's going to give her the lion's share of the inheritance so that thousands of years later, we will be talking about her children. Leah will not be left there. She will be the one that actually gets to be buried next to Jacob in the cave. She's the one that's going to be there, not Rachel, who dies along the way as they're traveling there. Leah, even though life's hard for her, she gets the most abundant of the blessings that the Lord himself can provide. Now, sometimes some of the moments that we get stuck in are good moments. Jacob has this amazing moment at Bethel. I am the Lord, your God. God shows up and says, I am the Lord, your God, God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are living, lying. And your descendants will be like all the dust of the earth. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. And Jacob has this amazing moment. Anyone ever had a mountaintop experience with God? Amazing moment or like the best date ever. And then you keep measuring every other date back to that one moment. Or you've watched that one Hollywood movie and you're like, see, it should all be like that. That one thing. And you keep aiming for that one thing. And it's a good thing, but you're stuck in a moment. Because the next line right after Jacob has this incredible moment with God is this. And it says, and Jacob lifted up his feet and walked to the land of the children of the east. This is the only time where that phrasing happens in the Hebrew. That Jacob, a lot of our translations, and he journeyed on. But it's literally in the Hebrew, he lifted up his feet. And so the rabbis ask the question, why is it that it says he lifted up his feet? Why did he have to lift them up? And maybe it's because where he was was so amazing that he didn't want to leave. And he wanted to just stay there forever. But all those promises that God is giving him in that moment, that amazing, incredible moment of seeing angels of God ascend and descend and having God go, hey, I'm for you forever and ever, and I'm never going to leave you. That moment and that moment right then, maybe he doesn't want to leave, but none of those promises are going to happen unless he lifts up his feet and goes. Some of the moments we get stuck in are the moments that are so good that we never want to leave. And we measure every other moment back to that same thing and everything else like, well, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a good meal, but it's not as great as that one I had that one time. We get stuck in that moment. We can't appreciate the thing that's right in front of us. So it might not be that we're stuck in something that's terrible and abusive and horrible. Maybe we're stuck in something that's good, but has prevented us from moving forward and getting the next set of blessings that are coming. Or maybe we're just stuck. But God wants us to lift up our feet. Wherever we are right now in our life, whatever it is that God is doing in our life, wherever it is that we are stuck, lift up your feet. If it's a job that's not working for you anymore, don't quit. But, you know, lift up your feet and start to walk towards the next opportunity. If it's a relationship that's not working, lift up your feet and find a solution. If it's your relationship with God that's not working, lift up your feet and find a solution. If you don't know him yet, lift up your feet and walk to him. God wants us to lift up our feet and move out of the moments that sometimes we get stuck in, the good and the bad. 
which all reminds me of this song by you two. And so I'm going to play it because I think every sermon should have a song by you two in it. No, <laughs> Bono wrote this song about a fictional conversation that he had with a friend of his who'd committed suicide. His, his behavior had gotten him stuck. And at the end of this song, he's like, it's just a moment. Move on. And in this video, you'll see as Bono starts to, to live out this song, he's, he keeps falling down. But these friends of his, his bandmates, keep coming and picking him back up. So take a few moments, and we'll, we're going to listen to the song. We'll watch the video together. And I want you to use it as a time of prayer, a time of asking God, what is it that I'm stuck in? What is it that's preventing me from moving forward?
all find ourselves stuck in these moments. We find ourselves with people who try to keep us in those moments where Jacob keeps going back and, and finding that there are those around him that are trying to keep him as a deceiver, keep him stuck in the moment of living that same story out again. We find ourselves in the midst of people who can't let us tell a new story and we get stuck. But here in this community, you've got people around you that'll offer a hand, that'll pull you up, that'll say, you don't have to stay stuck in that moment anymore. There's another story that can be written. Jesus meets people stuck in moments all the time and he helps them to lift up their feet and walk. It's time to get up and walk. It's time to lift up our feet. It's what he says to the man lying by the pool of Bethesda. Get up, take up your mat and walk. It's what he says to the woman at the well. It's what he says to the woman caught in adultery. It's what he says to the lepers. It's what he says to the blind people along the way. What is it you want? Let me help you get out of this moment that you're stuck in. And Jesus is more than willing. I mean, it's great if the edge is the one that reaches down and helps you up, but better Jesus, right? (laughs) Much better to have Jesus reach down and pull you up. Whatever moment it is that you and I are stuck in, the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Laban, it all calls us to lift up our feet and start to walk to the next moment that Jesus has for us. I think my favorite picture in the New, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, about someone getting stuck in a moment is Peter. Peter denies Christ three times. And after Jesus' resurrection, he's not out working at the, according to the account at the end of John, he is back fishing. As though he's stuck in that moment. I'm the denier of Christ. There's nothing that can be done for me. I'm stuck in this moment. That's all I can do and be forever. And instead, Jesus shows up and he says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Be a shepherd, Peter. Why are you out here fishing? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, Lord, that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, don't get stuck in that moment. You're more than that one moment. You're more than the moment where you denied me three times. Don't get stuck there, Peter. Come follow me. Lift up your feet and walk. Be a shepherd. And wherever you and I are stuck, Jesus is saying, lift up your feet. I'll give you the hand. Don't get stuck in that moment. Don't get stuck believing whatever it is that the world has told you. Don't get stuck in your past thinking that you will always be that way. Today is the day when we can stand up and not be stuck in that moment. That line of the U2 song, you've got to get yourself together. You've got stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. Do you ever have that? I have that. I I'm regularly saying to myself, get it together, Danielle. But the good news about the gospel is I don't have to do that alone. I've got all of you. And I've got the person of Jesus, the resurrected person of Jesus here in our midst. Who doesn't just say, get it together, Danielle. It's like, I'll help you get it together, Danielle. Here we go. Lift up your feet. Walk. Let's pray. Father, we bless you, God, for the fact that you are God that loves us so desperately, that you won't let us get stuck in these moments, that you won't let other people continue to stick us in those moments, Lord, but that you've offered us a way out. 
Lord, thank you for loving us so deeply that you've offered us a way out, a way to be set free from everything that would keep us stuck. Jesus, teach us how to lift up our feet. Let us have eyes that see those amongst us that might be stuck still in that mud. And Lord, would you lift all of us up and set our feet on solid ground again. Amen. May the God of love and second chances, the Lord of every moment, help us to lift up our feet and journey to the next moment of his choosing. And may Jesus give us the strength to hear a new story written only by him. Amen.